great day, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the Strategic Possibilities Show, where we discuss success and growth to help you launch potential in your personal and professional life. My name is Emmett Ferguson, and I am your host. And, and I've got an amazingly incredible ex- guest that I'm excited to have on right now. His name is Samuel Sanders, and he's the author of Your Next Big Idea, Improve Your Creativity and Problem Solving. And I'm so excited to have, have Sam on here because as someone who loves ideas, you know, myself, uh, you know, I, I love to be able to connect with people who are, who, who've also value ideas because there are a lot of people out there who like don't value their own ideas. And like when they hear an idea, you know, they, they disregard it, but from even the simplest idea or even a, a bad idea, you know, can come some amazing things. And, and Sam does some great things, uh, talks about some great things inside this book, as well as we also have an exercise that, um, you know, as a, as a listener, you get an opportunity to also work along with us and play along with this. So it's a very interactive, this book, as well as this podcast is going to be interactive too. So stay tuned. And Sam, how are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity. Yeah. Hey, it's totally great to have you. And by the way, you've won some awards with this book already. Can you tell me, tell, tell us about those? Yeah. So uh, I, I, for whoever's familiar with the book publishing process, you go and you put your book out for reviews. Um, and we, we already got um, a blue ink review notable book award, which is given to about the top five to 10% of books in their respective genre. Um, and so I got a star review and it's got a, getting a really lot uh, a lot of positive press so far. So that's really exciting. Yeah, this is an absolutely beautifully designed book too. I am very impressed. And um, with that, so, you know, one thing that people probably will ever think whenever they're looking at a book or looking at a book, book cover is like, you know, who is the author? You know, what has he done? And I know you've done some great things as an entrepreneur, you know, developing businesses and everything. Can you tell us a little bit about that, about some of the great publications that have like featured you? Yeah. So uh, basically my career is split into a couple of different categories, I call it. I started my career working for like an Inc. 5000 fastest growing company. And there I was able to do like HR and like hiring, marketing, finance, uh, like financing for projects. But one of the most important things I did was like I was selected to be on the R&D team. So that's when I really got to see like how, you know, innovation happens at these fast growing companies. After I did that, I left and tried to start my, or I tried to start my own company. Um, and it was called Wondershirt. I had a fantastic partner, Michael Shaw. Um, and we worked together. We built like business plan, marketing, a supply chain um, for that product. And what it was, was like advanced performance clothing. So like it would compete with Nike or Under Armour using like some really high tech clothing. At its peak, we had about five different countries' athletes uh, training in our clothing for the 2016 Olympics. So that was really exciting. Um, but uh, uh, it's, it's no longer uh, in business today. Um, and so after like Wondershirt was uh, completed, I went and I worked for the big corporate America or for uh, Fortune Future 50, Fortune 500, that uh, corporate life that I feel like everybody's got to get. Um, and I did things like really like, uh, specific like proposal, uh, proposal writing or business requirements or QA work. But I also was part of like some very high level stuff, like looking at business development from like a really big corporate level. 
Um, and as well as like creating new programs to help new hires come on. Um, and so that kind of gave me the, the look at like how innovation is done at like the large corporate level, the very fast growing level, and then also like the entrepreneurial level itself. So after I left that, I started a company, which I'm working on now, Herd LLC, which is a software program that connects governments to local citizens uh, to help bridge the disconnects. Um, basically, it will save governments time because uh, they get a lot of emails and they don't have a lot of staff typically to answer all of those emails. And it'll work to help uh, citizens get their voice more effectively heard. And so while I was working on that, um, I, you know, I started working on the book, Your Next Big Idea, which is, I think, the reason I'm here. Um, and it just kind of came to me that, like, I kind of have these unique uh, backgrounds, like the innovation in small business, the entrepreneurial mm -hmm. look at things, and then, like, the corporate innovation. Uh, and they all look at, like, ideation and innovation slightly differently. And so I tried to put that together into, like, an all-in-one concept that, anyone could pick up uh, and, you know, take a read. Yeah, that's amazing that you've had some great opportunities like that. Because, you know, when you, I think as like a regular person, you know, someone who hasn't been in like R&D or like environments where ideas are like incredibly valuable, um, you know, so for someone who hasn't been in that type of environment, you know, they don't, it's tough to know how much the value of an idea is. Like, from like good or, or bad. So you have had some great experiences in a wide variety of those types of environments. And you mentioned that different places have different, like, uh, I guess you would call them philosophies or approaches to working with ideas. So can you share a little bit about, you know, what your personal, I guess, thoughts around ideas are, I guess you'd call it a philosophy or approach to ideas or ideation. Yeah. So when I look at like ideas, I, I feel like it's sometimes considered so abstract and again, and it's honestly pretty, pretty frustrating because like people will just be like, oh, you know, I can't think of this. I'm just not creative. And like, we'll just give up on themselves in, in that sense when really like we don't, we don't teach how to like come up with ideas. When we talk about like big businesses like Apple or Amazon that are really successful, we're always looking at the business itself, but we're never talking about like the garage where it was started, you know, what trials and tribulations they had to face. Um, so that's the biggest kind of disconnect in the education system around like, you know, creativity. With ideas, you're really looking like if you're trying to find like a new idea for a new product or, you know, within a corporation trying to make something more uh, efficient, you're basically coming down to three questions. So it's what problems am I no uh, noticing? What wants do people have and what needs do people have? And so what that means is all like good ideas that are successful hatch from problems. And you know, normally like we face problems and we're just like, wow, this is really annoying. But each problem is really a potential opportunity to solve. So it, think about the first person who invented like the umbrella, like they were outside in the rain and they're like, I really hate getting wet, <laughs> you know, so like, let me create something so that I don't get wet. And, you know, that invention has been around forever. Um, so, you know, problems that you're facing you know, when you take a look at them and try and identify them and go to solve them, that's where a lot of the ideas come from. 
The other one's needs and wants. It's more like people who say like, I need something, but they can't have it. Uh, that's a pretty strong indication that there's, there's a potential for an idea there. And somebody who says like, I want something, I want this. It's also a pretty strong indication. Um, and so those combinations of questions, like what are the problems I'm seeing? What are the needs that people have? What are the wants that people have? That's where you're really going to find your ideas. Yeah. And uh, can you expand into, so you mentioned needs and you said something interesting. It was uh, they have, they have a need for it, but they can't have it. Can you explain that? Cause usually, you know, people think of uh, a wants as something that they can't have, but needs, you know, basically they have to have it like food. So can you expand on that? Like maybe uh, explain what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So when I look at needs, I split them into two categories. So there's like, functional needs. That's like, I need air, I need food. Like if something like that happens and there's, you know, that's, that's an emergency, but there's also like auxiliary needs. We're kind of conditioned as humans to like, uh, have things that make us comfortable and that we want to make us comfortable. And we'll do it like over and over in repeated patterns to the point where something feels so strongly that it is like a need for that person. Uh, let me see if I can give you an example. So say like, a you know, actually a really good example would be a lot of people take a glass of water to put, you know, by the bed uh, side for them while they sleep at night, just to make sure that like, if they're thirsty, they have that water. If you, if someone's been doing that, you know, for 30 years and you take that away from them, like that's going to cause this real, like a real irk. Like they're going to feel like I need this, you know, I've been doing this and so that I qualify more as a need because it's so ingrained in their process and their routine that it's like they, they feel like they need it, even though they might, the other person might not necessarily need it for them. It's a need. Um, so if you can find something that a lot of people need, uh, like an auxiliary need that also can lead to a really good, uh, you know, idea or potential business. On that. Yeah. Okay. That's really interesting. And so, by the way, did you just come up with that example just now, or was that? Uh, yeah, <laughs> just like on the spot awesome. here. <laughs> oh, that was awesome. All right, cool. So that's a really interesting idea. You know, finding ways to, so that people who need water by the bed to keep it by the bed in like an effect, effective way. Anyways, all right. So that's really interesting that you brought down that you were able to separate uh, needs into two separate categories as opposed to you know just needs and wants because you know at the end of the day, you know people need certain things to go about their day and you know sometimes it's not always universal and um you know with that all right so some great stuff here already and learning some great things now here's another thing is this there's sometimes you know a gap like when you're in R&D I imagine you know I haven't worked in R&D so you you could definitely clarify these things but I imagine that if you're in R&D you know you or even a creative like group where you're bouncing ideas off of each other, you know, you're, you're throwing out ideas and it's a big brainstorm. So what would you say can happen, you know, and there's usually a lot of good ideas, but what would you say happens to the good ideas that, you know, aren't used or, you know, what do you do with those? Do you just let them, you know, disappear and never be heard of again? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah. So it, de it depends on whether we're talking like in a corporation or like as an individual. Uh, corporations have a lot more rules, especially like if we came up with a really great idea at like, you know, the Fortune 500 company, like we're not gonna go sharing that with the world 
the nice thing about like corporations like that that have that kind of like oomph behind them, you know, they've been around for so long is they could shelve an idea for 30 years and like it come back to it, like it'll be okay and you know, just re-innovate it. So the first thing you should always do is never get rid of those ideas. Uh, at least, you know, write them down, save them somewhere. Um, and so from a corporate perspective, you can uh, do a couple of things. You can take those ideas and shelve them if you're like a company that has that kind of stability. You can take those ideas and if you don't think it necessarily makes sense for your company, you can partner or license. You know, there are a lot of other options to, you know, pursue um, the ideas uh, as well. Um, but more importantly, like as an individual, when you're coming up with ideas, I think the most important thing to do, and this is kind of counter, counterintuitive, is to share the ideas. And a lot of people have these, this fear around if I share my ideas, like maybe someone will steal it. But statistically, that's actually just really unlikely. You know, like there are only so many people that want to be entrepreneurs, and then so many people who want to be entrepreneurs with the same interest, then so many people who want to be entrepreneurs with the same interest that also like your idea, and then also have the skill set. Like it's very statistically unlikely, and it's really important from a marketing perspective to share those ideas. So. First of all, as a corporation, you can, you know, send them out to someone else, partner with someone else or shelve them. As an individual, definitely write them down and keep them, but also share them. Um, and sometimes that'll re-spark different parts of the idea. You'll get feedback and you all of a sudden it'll become, you know, uh, important to you. And I think as an individual, it's important to ask why you are shelving the idea. Like what is stopping you from doing that idea is it I don't have the time or the resources um, really identifying that and sometimes when you have a good sense of why I'm not doing an idea and you start sharing it you might be able to uh, push forward with it um, yeah and if you're really if you have a great idea you're really not interested in it you know you can same idea as a corporation you know you could license it out to someone else or take like a percentage and have someone else can do it if it's a business idea uh, yeah so definitely save it <laughs> yeah awesome and you know one thing that i got from your book was this idea that you know you you never know when a good idea is going to come or when a good bad idea can help to transform into something good and one thing i mentioned earlier was this idea of you know a lot of people have a difficult time valuing their ideas like i guess i imagine like when you're in a a corporation you know you can attach a number to it you know you start to do the math you start to see how many customers you know got all sorts of teams defining a value for it so for an individual um you know i remember you mentioning that you had this in in, in your book that you had a course on on ideation and that, you know, a lot of people weren't able to come up with ideas. So can you share a little bit about like what the value of an idea really is? Like, how do we even, like most people just think, oh, I wrote this on a sheet of paper, you know, what's it worth? $5, $100, you know, who, who like, can you share a little bit about your thoughts around that? Yeah, so the value of an idea depends on the work that went into creating the idea. So if I'm just on, you know, the street and I notice like a problem or even better, like I notice uh, someone else's problem, like I notice they're facing something and I can see that. And I think of something, 
that idea doesn't really have like a ton of value yet. It has some value because now I understand there are at least, you know, some, if some people are facing this, it's like, I have a, a sense that, you know, I have this idea and there are a couple of people that maybe could fit into a market that would potentially, you know, um, go forward with the idea. If you go through the full ideation process, that's when ideas start to have value. So now it's like, I've went, I've identified it like a problem need or want. I've erased kind of the stigmas I have with my solution. I've started working on like creating a solution. Sometimes that means like combining two different ideas to solve a problem into one or taking different parts of different, uh, you know, brainstorming aspects to build your idea. And the big thing is if you start to feasibility check them, see, you know, if there's really a market for it, if people want it, um, and then, you know, share those ideas and get feedback. Once you've gone through all of that process, you're really like, it's not just the idea anymore. Now you have kind of this basics for market research and you have proof, more proof of concept. The more proof of concept you build around the, an idea, the more value it has. So if I share an idea that I'm like, hey, like I know 100,000 people in Cincinnati, Ohio are facing this problem. All of a sudden, like that has way more value than it's like, hey, I saw someone on the street in Cincinnati, Ohio, and you know, they had this problem. So it, it, it depends on how much you put into the kind of whole ideation process and the market research with the idea. Awesome. All right. And, uh, you know, some, some great things there in this, this concept of, you know, ideation being a process, you know, and not just like just throwing, throwing things on a napkin or whatever. I mean, yeah, that's, that's part of it, right. That would be the first step, but this whole idea of, you know, expanding on it, looking at what is, what resources are available, um, you know, who, and what sort of needs might fit in, and then ultimately go into a proof of concept. So here, here, here's a, a, and I, a thought is, is the, is the, and this might be getting like more philosophical in a way, but is the proof of concept, is that the idea or is it, is the idea, the idea of the proof of concept? Like, is that proof of concept just a physical thing? Like, what do you, what do you think on that? Yeah. So, uh, what the, I talk about like when in my book, I talk about the different process on when you go through an idea and it starts with what we talked about before, like identifying those problem needs and wants. Then it takes a look at like racing some of your stigmas or, you know, what you think about, you know, different either industry or thing you're working on. Um, and then it goes into creating solutions. The definition of like an idea is like once, once, you know, you have something that is an idea, but to really have, make the idea, like we talked about before, have value, that's when like, you're really going on. So I don't want to discredit the person like at the, you know, at the Starbucks writing on napkins that can really, you know, be incredibly creative. Like that person has a lot of value, but the uh, idea, it like the ideas that they're creating can have more value the more you build the ideation process around it. Oh, okay. Well, that's really interesting. So basically what you're saying is, you know, at the more you develop an idea, the more it starts to compound in terms of value for everybody in a way. Okay. Very nice.
And before we go on with the rest of this episode, I just want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. And recently, I was able to get a sponsorship from Ty Lopez. He's an internet marketer, an internet entrepreneur, an angel investor. And I want to say thank you because these episodes and this podcast would not be possible without our sponsors. And this is something I'm incredibly excited about. I mean, have you ever been so excited about something that you just your mind just starts buzzing and you have to tell someone about it? So that's what's happening to me as I'm learning about how to add more streams of income from Ty Lopez's cash flow program. So that's Cashflow, C-A-S-H-F-L-O-W-W. That's Cashflow with two W's. And what he's been doing is he's been teaching me all about how to start a business without employees and startup costs. So you don't have to worry about all those fancy startup costs. You get started right now. And how to build a brand on social media so you can earn an income from your brand. Whether you decide to start a podcast or whether you started a YouTube channel, I've done those things, yet even I am having the opportunity to learn more ways to earn an income. And also, you'll also learn why certain companies would rather pay everyday people, just like you and me, to promote their products and services. You don't have to be a celebrity. You don't Today, you don't have to be have a hundred thousand followers you can get started right now on starting your business without employees and you don't have to be super famous you can do this right from your very own home and basically he's teaching me all of these useful things to know about making money and i didn't realize how much potential there is right now on the internet and i was also shocked to know about how easy it is to get started I mean, it used to be so time-consuming and expensive to start your own business. You'd have to worry about hiring an employee. You'd have to worry about starting, you know, some some corporations. And while those are some things you might want to consider down the road, getting started on the internet to start making money, earning income, earning an extra stream of income is incredibly simple. And Ty Lopez has created this amazing cash flow program. That's C-A-S-H-F-L-O-W-W with two W's. And doesn't have to be expensive it doesn't have to be time consuming it's all changed with that program so trust me you're going to want to check it out too now here's what you can do is you're going to get a special offer if you go through and let them know that you were able to hear about his program through me so here's a special link for you that's cashflow.com slash your life your way that's cashflow.com slash your life your way c-a-s-h-f-l-o-w-w dot com slash y-o-u-r-l-i-f-e-y-o-u-r-w-a-y again that's cashflow.com with two w's slash your life your way and let me know how it goes you are not going to be disappointed and with that thank you so much for listening and we'll be continuing on this with the, with the rest of this episode All right. And also, so what would you say are are some skills that you need or like things that you can do to become an idea generator? Like if someone, you know, just doesn't know how to get started, like they want to get into a job or business where they can just do ideas, like what would you recommend some skills to build? Yeah. 
Well, first of all, I'd say, yeah, go ahead and read the book. <laughs> but no, I think like importantly, like, first of all, I just want to say if you're someone out there that feels like they're not creative or not necessarily innovative, I would say that you, everyone has the potential to be creative and innovative, especially in their own way, because we all share unique backgrounds where we've had unique experiences. Uh, the person that like is trying to make a really big innovation, let's say for like the farming industry is not going to be like the Ivy League school big wig that, you know, came out with, you know, a PhD. It's going to be like the farmers that face those problems. So don't discredit yourself. Like if you don't necessarily feel like you're the, you know, smartest person in the room, or you feel like you're have that ability. Um, everyone, you know, has that ability because they have that unique skill set. To get started, I would say like the most important thing would be to start asking questions. So you're really going to have to start challenging, uh, you know, kind of some of the norms we face. I talk about in business, I call it the, the stoplight rule. And basically it's, uh, and uh, you know, the concept I expand on in the book, but if you're in two and a half to five uh, years in a, like doing something in a business, you can't, you're probably okay, but like you should maybe ask some questions around it. Once you're getting like over five years, I call that like the yellow light. And it's like, you really should be asking questions about this. Like, the, why are we doing this? You know, like really start triggering, like, the, is this still even efficient anymore? Like the rate that we innovate in our society has just gotten so fast. Um, you know, like you really should uh, start asking those kind of questions. And so for the person that comes in um, and it's just like, I want to improve my skills. The first thing I would say is like, look for those problems look for those needs, look for those wants, ask questions, because honestly, it can be a little scary to ask questions, but once you start to do it more and more, it gets more comfortable. Taking it like beyond that step, like you, the next step of becoming a really good ideator is probably the feasibility check section. Because, you know, like now that you're starting to come up with solutions, it's like, you're going to have, unless you're an entrepreneur, I mean, even if you are an but if you're in a corporate setting, you're going to have to prove, prove it. So it's like, oh, I have this idea, you know, pitch it to my manager. They're like, eh. but if you can show the idea has value, you know, that's, that's really big and that's going to help grow. So I would say ask questions and then work on trying to get that um, feasibility check in. And actually, you know, I think it makes sense to just like talk about that a little bit more because I, I don't, I think I've just glanced over it, but haven't gone really in deep, uh, really deep with it. Um, so when you're feasibility checking, it's really important to ask uh, like an additional three questions. From a, uh, from a business side, is there a market for this idea? Is there a market for this idea now? Um, and do I have the resources to do it? And so the first, like, the, is there a market for this idea? Like if you have an idea, but nobody, you know, is really interested that's, you know, that's not really going to have any value. It might be cool for you. And like, you should, should still do it if you want to do it for yourself, but like, it's not going to have any like business uh, value. The, do you, is, does the market want it now is really interesting. So um, I think his name was, uh, and I have it somewhere in my notes here. Um, yeah. Bill Gross, the founder of Idea Lab. He, uh, you know, took a look and did a survey of over 200, uh, about 200 startups, and he looked at funding, he looked at uh, the team, the idea, the business model, and the timing, and did an evaluation of what led to most entrepreneurial success, and 
for 42% of the time, it's the timing. So it's like, it's really important that your market wants this idea, feels this problem now. Um, and the good example of that is like in the biomedical industry, like when you look at really new innovations, they're doing a lot of really cool, innovative stuff there. But if you're talking about, you know, people adjusting their body per se, like that's something that as society, we're really not ready for. So it may be something that's really profitable in the future, but it's not going to be, you know, valuable now because the market doesn't want it now. And then the last one is looking at resources. Um, and that could be financial. That could be like intellectual, just like what do you need in order to make something, uh, you know, get off the ground. And if you don't have it, you can ask like, where can I get it? Can I train myself on it? Is there someone else that can join my team? You know, um, do I already know someone that has, <laughs> that has this intellectual knowledge or resources or, you know, financial uh, backing? So that's really what you're looking at. Once you have those ideas from those problems, needs, and wants, you're looking at, okay, is this viable? Fantastic. And I, I would have to say that like that whole concept of that timing is just huge, you know? Uh, so I, I just want to clarify when you were talking about like adding, adding stuff to the body, do you mean like wearables or like being becoming a cyborg is that the type of stuff you're talking about like no yeah so like <laughs> cyborg <laughs> um <laughs> yeah so i would say like wearables are obviously something that like society is very into now like you know fitbit's incredibly popular google watch apple watch all of those you know like wearables there's a lot of really interesting stuff being done around diabetes with wearables um i would say that would be like that's right now like we're comfortable with that then there's like the, you know, the element of like putting, you know, like, let's say like a virtual key, like in, in, in you, like that's mm. something that some companies are doing now, but it's like, yeah, you know, like not everybody's ready that there's no way I would be able to sell my parents on that. They already <laughs> don't like right. Facebook stocking, let alone like, you know, a company being inside of them. So um, yeah, I would say that, and a really good example of this is actually like Uber. Um, like when you think about it before, like getting into a stranger's like car, like would, would have been something that like was really kind of, uh, you know, foreign, but it just kind of hit the yeah. right timing uh, where people like, you know, needed, you know, cheaper rides and like wanted to, have, you know, have that availability and, and like it was able to take off. hundred percent. And okay. Fantastic. And okay. So you've gone over like basically some, some great things about how to like turn ideas into to value and how to, you know, become an ideator. And like, even that farmer example was amazing of how, like, it, you don't have to be a MBA PhD, you know, level person to come up with a great idea. Sometimes you just got to find the ideas that are right there needing for problems that need to be solved right in front of you. So that is great. And, you know, thank you for all of that, sharing all of that. And then one other thing you touched on in your book is this concept of stigmas. And, you know, I'd love to hear more about that, you know, from, from you yourself. What do you, yeah. What are stigmas all about? Okay. So I think like, um, like I mentioned before, we have like a lot of repeated patterns that we do. We follow sort of a status quo. When you're coming up with an idea and you really want it to be, this is this is almost taking it from like a good idea to like something that could be really 
innovative or like groundbreaking, you really need to examine stigmas. So in the book, I talk about different stigmas we have. So the first one, I, uh, there are eight of them. And so there are society standards. And that's like how people in society act. Like there are laws we have, which if you break are obviously really bad. But there are also sort certain like rules that we have as a society. Like, you know, don't talk about religion or politics at family, like, you know, gatherings or stuff like that. Like different rules like that. That if you break, it's not necessarily bad per se, you know, like maybe you're able to build a really constructive conversation. Um, and those, those can be really, uh, like if you're able to break those in a positive way, those can be really groundbreaking. But other stigmas people have, it's like the way they were raised. Like if you were grown up believing one thing and then all of a sudden, like you have to, you know, you have to believe another thing that could be really challenging. That could be a stigma that you have. Um, and like, as well as like habits formed, um, like, you know, just that from doing things over and over, like the water glass that we talked about. Um, and then also, you know, there's like additional like repeated actions on like um, a large scale level. So that would be like status quo type um, uh, things. And also uh, social influence is a really big one as well. So like, say my like, you know, actually, you know, fitness influencer, influencers is a great like, you know, a great example of this, like all of the fitness influencers are doing one thing. Like, I feel like I need to do that thing. Like they know best, but all of a sudden, like maybe that doesn't make sense as like the best thing. No, nothing against fitness influencers. Often they're very on trend, but <laughs> you know, like the uh, social influences, like the top companies are doing this this way. So that's like how we're supposed to do that. And actually like in corporations, that's a big, uh, you know, like we're, everyone else is doing it this way. Why would we change? It must work. Well, you know, it might work, but you might be able to do it this way and make it work better. Um, so when you're going and you're like looking at um, ideas, or I'm sorry, at problems, and then you go and you tackle some of these uh, stigmas, like you really open up the creativity aspect of the ideation process. Cause now you're like, okay, like I've eliminated like these stigmas we have either as a company, as an individual. Um, and, you know, like we, we uh, we can really start to, you know, create things that might break these in a really good way. Yeah. And okay. So when, when it comes to stigmas, you know, you did mention the, the clear stigmas of like following within the law. And of course, you know, there's usually like universal, like moral, like codes, but uh, when, when looking at the ideation process in terms of, you know, coming up with good ideas um, you know, I got the value of breaking stigmas. And you went through some examples, like such as how corporations have the status quo and everything. So how do you know, like, since you mentioned timing and everything, how do you know, like, when your idea is like too far out there, which I guess, you know, sometimes you could, you should just know, but like, how do you know when, when, how do you decide when either the timing is right or like, you know, let's take an example, um, you know, an obvious brands like Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, you know. Elon Musk, he decided to build a spaceship, right? Like, I'm sure his ideation process is much different, but like for the average person, like how do you decide on things like that? Or how do you break yeah. a stigma and still like, I guess, suit the needs of society? Yeah. So when it comes to like, you've, you think you have something really creative, but you're not sure like the timing is right for it. There are, so the first thing you should do is 
feasibility, you know, check it, like see if there are people that would want it now, you know, take that, like, like we talked about before, take that marketing, but they're also like more extreme tasks that sometimes like people do. So I'll give a really good example here. So um, there's a new type of ACL surgery that's becoming, uh, I think it's called bridge enhanced ACL surgery. I'll like, don't quote me on that, but it was uh, in Boston um, where they're doing a new type of ACL surgery. And that's something that's very ahead of like where we are now with ACL surgeries and ACL is, you know, such a serious injury. Um, it's really, you know, it's really important to try and make medical advances around that. What they did was they actually like created like this kind of uh, YouTube video that spoke almost to like someone like me with no medical background and really got like the popularity going to the point where it was like all of a sudden trending and so they took someone like me who knows like very little about like, you know, the, the ACL process to all of a sudden being like, hey, like now I know about this really cool thing. So they sped up almost like the people to be ready. That's a really extreme example. And you need like a lot of financial backing to do that. Um, but if you have an idea that you feel like is really in the future, that is if you're a corporation, potentially an option you can throw around, but a very expensive and risky one. Um, if you're an individual, like the one good thing you can do if an idea isn't ready is just like shelve it for now and like continue to get that feedback and like build on it. Like, and then you could be potentially, you know, one of the first five into that market um, when it comes around. Uh, yeah. And I think like recently, like when we look at like the crowdsourcing industry, like a couple years ago, like there were, you know, there are a lot of regulations around crowdsourcing. And so you know, people had a lot of ideas and they were, that was a really good example of people building for a long time. Uh, when we look at like the blockchain industry, like some of the different, you know, digital currencies that are coming up, you know, all different people are creating all different things. Um, yeah. So I think there as an individual, it makes sense to kind of like shelve it and wait for the market timing as a corporation, you have that option, but it's very risky and very expensive. So, you know, grain of salt. <laughs> yeah. But that, what I thought was great about also great about uh, what you just mentioned about like this concept of the corporations is the idea that like, you know, if you've got the money, the, it's ultimately, you know, in, in a sense about changing or I guess adapting the needs in a way, you know, by teaching people what they could possibly have what, or needs or wants. But like, you know, through that video, they basically, you know, made it feasible for, you know, everybody. And I felt yeah, that was a great I think example. With, yeah, with the like, and this is to the side, but with the medical industry, that's always really interesting because you always want to make sure you have like enough backing and research. Um, but then once something is out there, like a lot of times it takes time for people to accept it. So it's really important, obviously, they have the backing and the research, but um, then like once it's out there, you know, then, then, you know, you can go and try and do something like that. Yeah. All right. And, but this is, this is off top or I guess, not so much about the book, but I wanted to get your idea about this because um, Bill Gates just launched the book. Um, I think it's How to Avoid a Climate Disaster. And, um, you know, he in the book, he talks about how to go from 50 billion tons of emissions every year to zero, while also still helping, you know, the poorest people in the world still thrive. And that requires a lot of infrastructure and everything. So obviously, you know, something like that needs ideas. And I'm curious, how would you, you know, just hypothetically approach a situation? Like if, if you were just sitting there and you're like, yeah, I'd like to send some ideas to Bill Gates about this. Like what would, what would be some of the first steps to tackle something that big, you know? Yeah. So 
the first thing I would say is like, if it were me, like I am not an expert on climate. So it's important to get like outsource, like a group and team of people that are experts. When you're looking at like tackling a project that, that that's that massive and like Bill Gates has both like the financial backing, the kindness of his heart to work on something like that, but then also like the resources and the team of people um, to do that, you're looking at a lot of outsourcing to people that are specialists. So for him like to come across something like that, like Bill Gates knows a lot about, uh, you know, the climate, but he's not uh, the top most expert in all of the different kind of like climate efficiency. So when you're looking at a really big problem like that, it's like, okay, instead of me solving the problem, let's break this into like 10,000 little problems. And then those little problems, let's take those to the people that face those little problems and then like get them to solve it. Then you're looking, so this is more like a leadership point of view. You're looking like high up, okay, like here's where we have, how we say some carbon emissions here, here's how we do it here. And then like build that high up picture altogether. And then like, he's able to write that book, which looks amazing. I have not got a chance to see it yet, but it's like trending everywhere. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so it's really like, if you're looking at like, breaking down something that's like really big like that. I would say find a team and, you know, you know, uh, work with, you know, other people that know what they're doing. But then I would also say like, it's, if you solve one of those little 10,000 problems, that's also a really big impact. Um, and you can help build up to the bigger picture. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing what you just said, because I have had the opportunity to read the first few chapters. And that's almost like basically what Bill Gates did is like, he's like, yeah, I was reaching out to tons and tons of people meeting all these people and experts telling me about this stuff. And it got me, you know, interested in like solving this problem and all that. So I think it's so cool that you share that exact almost that exact strategy. Now, I don't know how he exactly went about it. Initially, I think he got inspired into it. But, you know, similar process. And that that's great thinking of, you know, if you want to solve a problem, don't go into like something you've never heard of and then just try to solve it yourself, you know, but to bring people together. And that can be a, a great time saver, too. Yeah. And also, yeah. Oh, no, I was just going to say that one of the things that I feel like corporations like don't value in the sense is bringing in people who are, are totally not experts. Um, and I, I, I know that like, uh, this is like, it's slightly related, but basically like if I'm trying to solve a problem as a corporation and I bring in someone that doesn't really have any like, uh, knowledge around it, but who I think is like a smart individual, oftentimes that can provide a lot of value in the ideation process and creation process, because then they're coming in and they're trying to understand things. So they're asking questions. They're challenging some of those like stigmas you have, like, wait, why are we doing it like this? You know, like, what about this? And maybe it's maybe a silly idea, but it's important to think about like why we do things that way and they spark creation too. And so I think like with that, like, I mean, solving a problem like uh, the climate crisis is such a huge uh, process, but you need all different types of people from all different backgrounds working together on something like that. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that, you know, of, of you've got the experts, but there's also people that are great of with, you know, just, ideation in general and you know that they can apply that in many other areas problem solving and uh, whatever you want to call it so wonderful you've shared so many great things sam so i want to thank you for being here and with that you did mention that you had an exercise for us it did come out of your book uh, exercise 30 and i was able to go through it but can uh, for for 
for the listener. Can you share with us, like, you know, walk us through this exercise that we can all do together, the three, the three of us, or, you know, million of us or whatever, whoever. yeah. Yeah, so um, just like touching back to give some background so that I can, uh, you know, dive really deep here. The book itself, like one of the challenges I had when writing it is so many people learn in different ways and it's really important to provide a way that everybody can kind of come along in the process. Um, it's, you know, like I read a lot of like business type books and sometimes they're just like, this is what you should do. This is what I did. And it, it, this book is not like that. It's really more trying to take the person on the journey. And so that's where the exercises came in that we're about, about to do together. Um, and so those were really important to me because they help, um, you know, take the person doesn't necessarily learn the best just by, you know, going straight and listening, like reading, you know, what, what, uh, someone did and, and helps force them to go through not force, but, you know, takes them through the process, um, of, you know, these creative concepts themselves. So the worst, um, I, so this is called the worst company exercise. It's in the middle of the book. And it's, it's a really funny exercise. Usually we can get some good laughs out of it, but um, how it works is you can do it with a friend or you can try and do it by yourself. You think of some really bad business ideas. This could be something like um, um, a mattress filled with bees nests, or it could be something like um, a pencil sharpener that doesn't sharpen. And then you either give those ideas to someone else or you take them on yourself and you try and spin it and pitch it in a way that could um, be, you know, something that's positive. Uh, so like if we were to go through an example, um, let's, let's see if we can think of an idea. So, so let's say like glasses that absolute that make you see worse. Like that would be <laughs> an absolutely horrible idea. <laughs> yeah. So like you would take five seconds and like, you could do this yourself if you're listening and like, think about like how you would take that. It's like, okay, now it's my responsibility to bring that to market. Like, how would I do that? So as I'm thinking here, it's just like, okay, have you ever wanted to look like Clark Kent? Feel like you're Superman <laughs> the entire time? You know, feel what it's like to have all of those crazy, vi like uh, Ice Vision or, you know, the stuff he has. Like, try these glasses that'll make you feel like a superhero. And, you know, it could be something that goes into your Halloween store or like something like that. So taking ideas like that. So we can try and do um, one more here. And so like a candle yeah. that never lights. So I can <laughs> seconds here and be like wow what a great prank toy we have here and i actually feel like these might exist but like we have a great right. prank toy here put it on the birthday cake for your friends and family watch them try and like you know light it for their uh for them and oh yeah see the, see the results so yeah, yeah you know stuff like that i remember i remember uh my girlfriend has a a candle and it's actually like a light an actual light inside, but I didn't realize that. So I melted half of it because I tried to light it on fire. <laughs> so you just, you just made me think of that, but let me, let me, so, okay. So I'm going to try this exercise. Um, a flower pot that you have to put, wear as a hat. A flower pot you have to wear as a yeah. hat? Okay. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, it's difficult to break the stigmas. Cause I keep, when I think of a flower pot, I keep thinking what's the logical ways that this could happen, but yeah. You know, a flower pot. Okay, well, there you go. So if you're looking for the latest trend and it's springtime, one of the great things to have is a flower. And you can also prepare for Valentine's Day and put flowers on top of your head as a flower pot. Keep the water up there. It keeps you uh, uh, cool during the summers too. So it'll last you <laughs> yeah. through spring and summer. Oh, cool. All right. Yeah. That's fun. 
Yeah. And then also, you know, maybe in the winter time, it protects you from hail, you know, like you yeah. don't want to get hailed on. So <laughs> there you go. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I think that's a really great exercise. Just kind of just like, you know, we're so often in the same routine over and over and over again. And we don't really get the, the time to just, you know, be creative anymore as adults. Um, so I think that's really great to get people going. I think you did a great job. (laughs) Thank you. And I definitely want to emphasize like this idea that what you brought up about the stigmas is, you know, when, again, like when I was running through the bad idea, I was like, you know, is it okay to come up with a bad idea? Like I was trying to like figure out like, what's, what is a bad idea? Like, yeah, it's just tough to break that mold of like wanting to be right, I guess. Yeah. 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 It's, it's sometimes like sometimes even simple things like coloring outside the lines in a coloring book can drive people nuts, but like, it's important to, you know, (laughs) spread that kind of like, you know, stigma breaking, you know, exercises in, in, in your life. Um, And we have in the book, there are a ton of different things like this to help you try and get into your, you know, creative juices. And, and um, yeah, I think it's, it's really important. Like as adults, we spend time, you know, being creative, being ideators and, you know, trying to innovate. Yeah, that is beautiful. And, you know, this, this book is absolutely amazing. You know, I love, love the cover and all the designs in it, you know, it feels like, like a fun adult book, right? Like going through these (laughs) exercises, go learning, but you know, learning about big business R and D, but also being practical for the individual and at the same time having, you know, a lot of exercises, you know, I'm the type of guy who, you know, I'll go online and I, I feel like, you know, I'll go to a website and I, they, they talk about like these mind quizzes or whatever. And I, I've, I've feel like I've seen them all before online, but I actually went to your book and I was like, Whoa, I've never heard of this exercise. Whoa, this exercise. Is really cool. Whoa. Hey. So that, that was a ton of fun. Uh, definitely got my mind going. Definitely, you know, for, for people that like that type of stuff. Um, absolutely amazing. And if you, if, even if you're not like, I, I got so, so much value out of this and, you know, Sam, just wanted to get an idea. You know, um, I did get a, a uh, pre, pre-release copy of this. Can you share more about like, what's the best way to reach out to you if they want to connect about ideas? What's the best way to, um, you know, when to get your book and all of that? Yeah. So if you're interested in the book, you can go to yournextbigideabook.com, like the title, Your Next Big Idea, and then book.com. Uh, and you can, there's a, sh- uh, there's like a shop page there where you can, uh, you know, get it from any, you, either your Amazon or Barnes and Noble, your local bookstore, bookshop, you know, wherever you shop for books. Um, and it, there's contact information on there. If you want to contact me, please do. Like, I love hearing from everyone. So um, yeah, I, that would probably be the best place uh, to contact me. And if you're interested in pre-ordering, that'd be great. I would really appreciate that. And um, yeah, hopefully like we can, you know, spark some great ideas together. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Wonderful. And uh, all of that will be in the description for this episode. So thank you so much for being on here, Sam. And thank you for listening. Yeah. And thank you so much. This conversation was amazing.